It is uh, Thursday, it is 5 o'clock, therefore it must be the Richie Allen Show. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good night, depending on where you are. I'm Richie Allen, live from BBG Towers. Drop me a line during the programme via my website, richieallen.co.uk, or even tweet me, it's at BBG Richie. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, it is me, it is me. Listen, later on in the program, I'll be joined by none other than Melissa Shumay. She's been on with me before. She's very, very, very good. She's an academic and investor. We're going to talk about Credit Suisse. We're going to talk about banks in the United States. We're going to talk about the European Central Bank. Is there a big crisis? Is there a financial collapse looming? Is the crisis we are witnessing now, is it a precursor to the introduction of central bank digital currencies? We'll get into that and more with Melissa Shumay a little bit later on in the programme. That's Thursday's programme, the 16th of March 2023, otherwise known as St. Patrick's Day Eve. That's the one. Yes, we are on the eve of the most important day in the world ever, St. Patrick's Day. And it's a Friday. It'll be Bedlam, Chaos, Re-Raw, August, Rulia-Bulia tomorrow in Ireland. Or will it? Will it? Or has the scamdemic and the measures and the lockdown, has it scared the pants off the young people? When I was a younger man, St. Patrick's Day was a blur. It was mental. Everybody got absolutely plastered, leathered. What other slang terms do we have for being pissed as a fart we just got absolutely rat arsed didn't matter what day of the week it was even the babies you'd see babies just rolling down with nobody attached to the pram no mums behind the pram just babies just just rolling down streets just absolutely pissed right up i doubt it'll be like that tomorrow which you never know i'm going to take myself around the corner for a pint of the black stuff I'm looking forward to that. Reach out to me, richieallen.co.uk, BBG Richie on Twitter. I am Richie Allen. I am, I am, I am. Now, I made a video this morning. I put it on social media and foolishly, I said I wouldn't talk about it on the show. Not realising that only a fraction of our listeners will have seen the video I put up earlier on. So for those of you who saw the video, this might be tedious, but I will keep it fairly quick. Just to say that last night I couldn't access two Skype accounts that were set up for this program. One is kind of a more of a personal one that I do reach out to guests, to, to potential interviewees, and sometimes I schedule guests through it. The other one is Chat with Richie, which I use for the phone-ins, so people phone in. Both of those Skype accounts, they have telephone numbers, you've got to pay for that. And I also pay for various packages, various phone calling packages where I can phone mobile numbers around the world and whatnot. So I'm a customer, it's Microsoft, right? I also couldn't get into my Hotmail. This was in the program, uh, during the program last night. So I reached out to them, initially via a little chat thing. And then a guy actually Skyped me, excuse me. Gentleman had an Indian accent, I do believe, and I asked him what had happened, and he said there, the accounts were temporarily suspended. And I asked him why, and he said, I can't tell you very much. And I said, well, I can't imagine why you would want to suspend somebody from, from their Skype account. What could they 
possibly do. And he mumbled something about spam. And I said, well, I don't spam anybody. You know, who do I spam? I, I generally receive calls and I make calls. And that's about the size of it. But he was a nice fella. And I'm, I'm a fairly decent chap myself, like. And I said to him, look, come on, you've got to give me a bit more than that. I spend money with the company. You need to give me a bit more. So he said, look, give me a couple of minutes. I'll do a bit of digging. So he did a bit of digging. And he came back to me and he said, there were complaints or a complaint made about your Skype account by a third party. And I said, well, to do with the radio show. And he couldn't confirm that, but he, but he wouldn't deny it either. So I said, right, so if I've got it right then, a private citizen has contacted a monstrous global corporation to complain about another private citizen and you've suspended my my Skype account and I can't even get into my Hotmail. And he said, well, that seems to be the way it is. And then we had a chat about it and he said he would restore access to the accounts and that would happen fairly quickly. It did, but he couldn't give me any assurances that it wouldn't happen again. That a complaint had been made and the accounts had been closed down. Now, I won't dwell too much on this because we've talked about this before. You might remember Hayden Hewitt, who's a very good friend of mine. He is a filmmaker these days. And bloody hell is he going places. He's making a feature horror film at the moment called Cara. And by God, he's got some very well-known actors and actresses in it. And I read the script. I don't know if I should say that. But he gave me advance sight of the script and it's brilliant. It's scary, but it's it's good, right? Very, very good. So Hayden used to be involved with LiveLeak.com. In fact, he's one of the co-founders of it. Now, for a long time, LiveLeak.com was a massive website and it would have been in the top two to 300 most used websites. Do I say that? It would have been in the top two to 300 in terms of traffic. It was a video sharing website. Now, Hayden has been around the internet since day one. And he said to you, and he said to me on this program three or four years ago, he said, when the censoring tyranny comes, it won't come in the guise of the politician with the dark suit in the House of Commons. The private sector will drive censorship in the future. And he is bang on. So forget about the Richie Allen show. And forget about me. This is not about me. It's not about the Richie Allen show. This is happening to lots and lots of people around the world. Um, the Daily Express had somebody call me today. I gave them the story. It might run in the Express. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. And somebody from the Telegraph, who I know, got in touch with me and said, "We'd love. I'd love to cover it, Richie. But because it's you... It, the editor won't put it in the paper because it's you, because it's the Richie Allen show. Now, I don't care about the, 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 you know, getting any sort of publicity. It's not of any interest to me at all. So I said to the journalist, well, just run the story and don't mention the show then. Just mention it's happening to independent freelance journalists on the internet that they are having their accounts suspended because somebody has complained about them. And, um, that's that's where I left that. But there might be something in, in the press about this because we have arrived here now. We talk about this all the time. We talk about censorship through, you know, some sort of social credit system, through cancel culture. You know, you know isn't it absolutely mind-boggling on the one hand, even though we're not naive because we expected this kind of thing to happen to everybody in the future, but that you could contact 
a service provider. It doesn't matter which type of service provider. And you could say, hey, that, that, that chap there now, or, or that girl there, that Claire Murphy there, she's a wrong on her. You know, do you know that she's involved with some of them uh, transphobic groups that, uh, you know, that they misgender people? And it's more than conceivable that the service provider might say, okay, well, fair enough, and they'll cancel Claire Murphy. Here's the thing, and I'm not naive, I know what our governments really are, and I know who they represent. If we had genuine governance, if we had, you know, if we had any semblance of, of law and order, legitimate law and order, any semblance of a very free society, your government would protect you would protect you from having that happen to you. Your government would tell social media companies, the, the, the huge ones, listen, you enjoy a hegemony now that you shouldn't be enjoying because, you know, our governments that came before us, they helped you obliterate your competition and now you are the only games in town, namely Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, what have you. There's only a few of them. You're the only games in town because our predecessors allowed you get away with basically fixing the competition. There are no other platforms really where people go and have their say. You are not even state-sized. You are continent-sized. Therefore, you cannot, you cannot um, remove one of our citizens from your platform unless you give them a legitimate reason. Now, anybody who's been kicked off of Google or kicked off of Twitter or kicked off of Facebook or kicked off of Instagram or whatever, you'll know they've all got one thing in common. They have a list of terms. They have a terms of use page, and it's very long. And when they ban you, because I've been banned from, from YouTube, from PayPal, there's others too. I was kicked off of Twitter for, for over a year. You ask them why, and they say, here is our list of terms. Uh, it's one of those. Now, this is preposterous, right? It was like last night with uh, Microsoft. The guy says to me, look, here's a link to our lists of terms and conditions. It's got to be one of those. Right, so I'll have a look at the huge, lengthy, voluminous, Terms and conditions, right? And I've got to pick one out, basically. That's how it works. Governments, of course, should not allow these companies get away with that. You know, governments should legislate for these companies and say, you know, we're allowing you to operate within our borders. The one thing you cannot do is you can't be, not to use the term, excommunicating, banning people, kicking them out, you know, uh, saying, look, you, you don't get to participate without giving them a legitimate reason, where they can speak up for themselves and say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a transphobe. I'm not racist. I have nothing against Jews. I'm not anti-Semitic either. But this is the vaudevillian situation that we have in terms of social media. You know, I think back to... I, I was on air when Google bought YouTube from those two guys years and years ago, mid-2000s. How was that allowed to happen? Stuff like that, you know. So that's where we are now. You can basically have you, you, a customer. You are a customer of a, com a company providing you a service. 
And that cost, excuse me, that service provider can be compelled very easily, it would appear, by somebody, a faceless person, a nameless person, who contacts the service provider and says, you shouldn't be doing business with this person because that's not a good citizen. That's what happened yesterday. It happened two years ago with PayPal, with me. I took it as far as I could. I got the Financial Conduct Authority involved. They were pretty aghast. They couldn't believe it. That a company could just close your account with money in it, steal the money and not give you any reason and refuse to speak with you. Absolutely. Except for, here's a list of our uh, guidelines, our code of conduct. Somewhere in there is what we think you're guilty of. Well, tell me. Tell me what it is. And, you know, I'm sure we can clear it up very quickly. No. No, no, you're banned. And that's the end of it. And that's where we are. So they restored it, and it's there, but I don't know for how long. Because it's so very easy now, as I said, and I won't keep repeating myself, for somebody to do that to somebody else. Isn't it astonishing? And I'm not naive. It might be a private citizen. It might not. It might be somebody working for an organisation. Of course it might be. It might be somebody in the independent media who's a tad jealous of the Richie Allen show. Now, that's probably unlikely, but you just never know. It is that easy to do it. You know, so um, it's horrible, really. I said this on my little video I made this morning. It's just so debilitating. It's such a pain in the arse, you know. But um, it is what it is. And we'll leave it there. If you want to see the video, it's on Facebook. It's on on Twitter, too. I'll shut up about it now. I'll take a very quick tune. When we come back, I've got a long list of things we need to discuss. I've got some content for you. You, of course, can uh, join in via the website richieallen.co.uk. Comment live is my handle, so why don't you just do that and comment live? Now, the comments had reached into the thousands, so Hayden deleted the comments from the last few days. Don't worry about that. It's not censorship. We've got to do that, you know. We've got to clean up the old website every now and then, so every few days, all of the comments from the previous days, they just get deleted. It's not censorship. Calm down. This is Chris Ria. Chris Ria, let's dance on the Richie Allen Show. 17 and a half minutes past 5 o'clock this Thursday. The 16th, it is. It is the 16th of March, 2023. Yeah, Melissa Shumay on the programme a little bit later on. She's got a really interesting Facebook page. Check it out. Now, if you're worried about getting a scan, if you're worried about having a minor operation, you might be happy this afternoon. A 5% pay rise from April has been offered to NHS staff in England, including nurses and ambulance workers. In addition, staff have been offered a one-off payment of at least £1,655 to top up the past year's pay award. So unions are recommending members back the deal after nearly two weeks of talks with ministers, raising hopes this bitter dispute may be coming to an end. The offer covers all NHS staff except doctors who are on a different contract. 14 unions were represented at the talks, covering nurses, ambulance staff, physios, midwives and support staff, including cleaners and porters. So the biggest three, the Royal College of Nursing, 
Unison and the GMB have all said they are backing the deal. Unite has said it cannot recommend it to members, but it will put it out to vote. It has been a long winter, has it not, dear listener, of industrial action, which has seen nurses, ambulance staff and physios go on strike. Further action was put on hold by the unions after uh, the two sides agreed to enter discussions last month in February. So, let's hear the Health Secretary then, Stephen Barclay, speaking a bit earlier today. Well, the government's made a formal offer to the NHS Staff Council that I've just come out of a meeting with them. I'm very pleased that they've agreed to recommend to their members. It will be for a 5% pay rise next year, 2023-24, but also an additional lump sum in terms of this year, which is additional to the award through the pay review body, which was on average 4.75%. Uh, and then what that will mean, for example, for a newly qualified nurse is over 1,800s this year on top of that PRB uh, award uh, and a pay rise of over £1,300 next year. And obviously that increases for more senior nurses in higher grades. Now, of course, some of that money for this year is a one-off payment, which means it doesn't go long-term into uh, the salaries of those people. You've said frequently that you wouldn't look at this year's pay. Why didn't you do this earlier? Well, we have listened to the concerns of the trade unions. We've had meaningful discussions with them. We Both sides have engaged constructively. Obviously, the starting position from a, the number of the unions was much higher, uh, and so both sides have worked together to reach a settlement uh, which is both affordable to the wider taxpayer and balances the very real pressures we recognise that NHS workers have been on. So the balance was required on both sides. That is what the talks explored and that's why I very much welcome that we've reached a settlement with the NHS Staff Council that balances our commitment in government to get inflation down, to look at the cost and what was affordable to the wider economy, to taxpayers, but that also recognised the very real pressures that NHS staff had faced through the pandemic uh, and particularly through the recent winter. Yeah, the Health Secretary Stephen Barclay there, that might not mean much to you, but it will mean a lot to people who I bump into around here waiting for treatment for chronic illnesses or waiting for scans, knee replacements, hip replacements. Like the, the missus, for example, she's been waiting three years for a tummy tuck for dentures and a breast enhancement. Three years. Bloody NHS, yes. Right, BBC Radio 4 today. This, uh, this is interesting too. Yesterday was budget day, I know grown. I'm not going to get into it, fear not. We won't dwell on it for too long. Uh, Richard Hughes from the Office for Budget Responsibility, which is like a watchdog really, he was on BBC Four's Today Show and he was asked this question. It's an interesting question too. How big a role is net inward migration playing in driving whatever growth we have in this country? So it makes a difference uh, over uh, over the next five years. And I should say we've been consistently surprised by the level of net migration under the new sort of post-Brexit migration regime. Um, in the, initially, when we looked at this uh, after, uh, after the referendum and we were looking at what effect the new post-Brexit migration regime might have, we thought that it would bring in about 129,000. What we saw last year is actually 500,000 migrants coming into the country. Now, some of that was temporary factors. We took in a lot of refugees from Ukraine. We took in people from Hong Kong. Um, but we still 
expect in the medium term, based on the ONS's latest projections, that actually migration in steady state is going to be around 245,000. So significantly more than we thought was going to be coming in under the post-Brexit migration regime. That supports employment growth over the forecast period and means that it does add oh, you know, a, a tenth of a percentage point output by the, end of the, by the end of the five years. How does high migration, in your estimation, lead to higher growth? So it leads to higher output um, in the sense that these people come these people come here we think a certain proportion of them enter the workforce we assume that roughly they've got the participation rate of the average uk population so they have the same employment rate as the uk population so it adds to the growth in output what it doesn't do is add to the growth obviously in output output per person uh, because you know, those are additional people in the population um, who who are, who are generating that right richard hughes there from the office for budget responsibility did you catch this that actually migration in steady state is going to be around 245000 so significantly more than we thought was going to be coming in under the post-Brexit migration regime. That's, but actually, migration... That's 245,000. Significantly more. That's net migration, by the way. The net migration figure is a very easy one to figure out. You subtract the amount of people leaving the country from the amount of people coming in. And you, you get a figure. So it grows every year by 245,000, which is a city the size of Wolverhampton. Have you ever been to Wolverhampton, dear listener? Well, you don't know what you're missing. It's amazing down there. Wonderful. How many times have you been diverted through Wolverhampton? As you uh, notice, there's a massive pileup on the M6. Yes, it happens all the time. Um, so 245,000 every year, significantly. In steady state, there's going to be around 245,000. So significantly more than we thought was going to be coming in under the post-Brexit migration regime. Yeah, significantly more than we thought would happen after Brexit. That's Richard Hughes. Now, that is pretty mad. That is, if you look at it, that's a city the size, as I said, of Wolverhampton every year. That's growing the country, growing the population, or a city of uh, Birmingham's size every four years. That's a bit mad, isn't it? Now, this figure came up on the BBC lunchtime programme, known as Politics Live, and Alex Phillips was on... She, Alex is from Reform UK, and she was very good here. Have a listen. Alex Phillips talking about this and putting it in some context for BBC viewers. Look, we've got to take stock of the numbers here. This should be massive headlines. A quarter of a million people net, not gross, net per year. Every four years, a million extra people. That's the city the size of Birmingham coming in. And actually, the increase of GDP output would be tenths of a percent. So what we're doing, and also what the chair of the OBR said, is we don't necessarily think that the migrants coming in and this mass influx are going to contribute to the workforce at a greater ratio than the, the native population. So we're essentially just building and growing at an exponential rate. The population of this country... And it's not actually doing much to plug those gaps when actually what's happening is you're also increasing the number of mouths around the table to feed. NHS at breaking point, everybody can see that. Housing crisis. How on oh, earth? OK, hang, hang on. And, and businesses themselves, businesses themselves, including businesses like the CBI, are saying that there does need to be migration to fill gaps in the workforce, which is holding back growth. Yeah, the BBC presenter is being deliberately obtuse. It's what the BBC presenters do. She's ignored the point made by Alex Phillips, the point about services, the point about infrastructure. Um, why are we growing the population of the country by a quarter of a million people every year? when we're not building houses, we're not building hospitals, we're not inviting 
Um, we, you know, we're, we're, we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough police. Why would you do that? That's going to lead to collapse inevitably. The BBC brings it back to, oh, we have these vacancies, we have these vacancies. More from Alex Phillips on that. Well, listen, there may need to be in sectors such as the NHS, but what you've got to look at... And do you well, know border than the NHS. The CBI doesn't represent the NHS. Listen, when the, when the points-based system was brought in, Boris Johnson, you know, Mr Redwall himself, actually advertised one half of UK jobs to foreign workers. It's not working. You may have to look at thresholds and sectors on an industrial basis and say, where do we need certain workers but unless you actually introduce some form of cap and actually okay. look at things like spousal visas we cannot, cannot anyone who thinks that the population growing by a million people every four years is sustainable is either deceiving or deluded or deluded yeah absolutely so the presenter went to a labor woman and the labor woman said that the language is divisive and dangerous which is what labor people do and then the presenter introduced a mad woman like a really mad woman called naomi smith who i still can't figure out if this woman is a stand-up comic she is the ceo of something known as best for britain best for britain and she was asked about migrants Naomi Smith, this is mad stuff. Migration is brilliant. It is wonderful. It enriches societies. What? It makes cultures better. It boosts uh, uh, every every part of our lives. I think it is important that somebody sits and, 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 and makes that point and says that, you know, migration is great. And I mean emigration as well as immigration, migration in the round. And what we've lost with Brexit, of course, is not just um, the, the freedom of movement of, of people coming to the UK, but... You, Young British people have lost the right to we go and live, love and work and, and, and study uh, in 27 other member states. Alison's right. We've got 1.1 million vacancies. They are not just in the NHS. They are across hospitality, uh, agriculture, many, many sectors. Um, and these, these don't need to be binary things. You don't either need to fill them with upskilling the domestic workforce or uh, being reliant on immigration. We can do both. We can, in the short term, make sure that we've got uh, access for businesses to fill those gaps if they need to by bringing people in from abroad, while investing very heavily in the skills agenda, which we've not done. And actually, business and government need to work together uh, uh, on that skills agenda far more than they have been in countries like Germany. You see that happening far better. Um, but but I think to, to allow a narrative of, um, you know, immigrants and immigration being reliant on them, we, we should be grateful to them. They've got us through some many sticky wickets and the NHS is on its knees, partly because, uh, you know, 10,000 NHS workers were okay. EU workers that have left. I mean, Alex, that is right, isn't it, actually? People that have come to this country have really helped some sectors, including the NHS, keep going for a long time. Alex Phillips? Some people have. I'm not denying that. And, you know, what? I'm going to call everybody out who's talking about rhetoric and divisive language i don't understand where this divisive language is supposedly being heard because i'm not attacking migrants what i'm saying is a million people every four years is completely unsustainable you cannot build houses and hospitals fast enough and what isn't being discussed here is the negative impact that happens on the on the blue collar workers in this country for instance if you want okay. to come in bbc reporter journalist tries to shut her down again okay okay told of skilled jobs you have to be able to getting a job at 80 percent of the salary now that that barrier has been lowered which means the negative effect of wage compression on builders on carpenters on brickies in this country is dreadful my father 
father was a lorry driver. Okay. This happened to him. I grew up seeing this firsthand. And this isn't being divisive. This is just calling out facts. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we, we are approaching the end of the programme and we've got other things that we want to get in. But thank yeah. you very much for your time. We're approaching the end of the programme and we have other things we want to get in. Get off. You're speaking too much truth there. It's not about... Um, having any problem or having any issue with migrants. It's about where are you going to put this one million people? Where are they going to stay? You're not building affordable housing. You are not building local authority housing. You are not building hospitals. Collapse is inevitable. It's got nothing to do with whether you love migrants or whether you don't care too much for them. It makes no difference. It's crazy this, isn't it? Absolute nuts the way they try to reduce this down to a simple few absolutes, you know. You're either a xenophobe or you're a good person. I mean, listen to this absolute tosh from this woman, Naomi Smith. Just listen to this. Migration is brilliant. It is wonderful. It enriches societies. It makes cultures better. How does it enrich societies and make cultures better? How does it make cultures better? By the way, this is a rhetorical question. Or is it a rhetorical question? No, it's a genuine question. Help me out, because I'm genuinely asking this. How does 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 migration, does immigration enrich cultures and make us better people? Somebody explain it to me, and if you do explain it to me, I'll run with it. I'll say, okay, fair enough, you've educated me. I can't see it. Enriches I mean it's this is for the birds, this idea. What I see in Manchester, what I saw in London when I lived in London, in Brent, in, uh, in Wembley, was I saw lots of different groups of people. I didn't see any cultural enrichment there. I saw an incredible amount of Eastern European people who tended to kind of hang out together. Uh, you know, I heard a lot of foreign languages on buses and on tube trains down around there. I didn't see any cultural enrichment going on. I'm the interested observer Irish guy who happens to be a migrant in this country, as I've said before. Enriches them. Yeah, I'm not buying that at all. Mad stuff. Let's move on. 26 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Do drop me a message through the website richieallen.co.uk. Live comment. Or if you choose, you can uh, reach me via Twitter. It's Richie on Twitter if you want to reach me there. Okay. Right. What was I doing next? I was going to do... Yeah. Credit Suisse, then. Will we do that? Um, we'll get into this with Melissa Shumay shortly, in around about 25 minutes or thereabouts. Now, the US Treasury Secretary, a woman called Janet Yellen, has said, has very definitively said, that the US banking system is sound as uh, stock markets continued to recover or to rebound, as they say, on these financial programs. Yellen spoke to the Senate. She said Americans can feel confident their deposits will be there when they need them. All right. Now, you'll know that regulators in the US have had to bail out two banks in the last few days. That has led to fears that other banks might be facing problems. And that's what people want to know. Richie, can you help us out? Can, can we expect other banks to get into trouble? What does that mean for our savings? We'll speak to Melissa about this a bit later on. I, I'm not in any position to dispense any advice on this, but um, I totally understand why you're a bit nervous, right? I get it. Um, markets in New York did rise, though, today, after a bit of a wobbly start. There was a report that First Republic Bank is considering um, a sale 
that came out and that unnerved a few people. Its share price dropped a bit. But um, but the US stock markets, its three main indexes, which are the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, they're now up apparently after being a bit low initially when trading opened. Right, okay. Now in Europe and in the UK, same thing, a rebound in the markets earlier today after the Credit Suisse announced overnight that Switzerland's central bank had given Credit Suisse £45 billion, pounds, that's pounds, not euro, worth of a bailout. Okay, this was amid fears that uh, Credit Suisse's issues might lead to what they call contagion, which is where its issues kind of spread out and cause a wider crisis in banking. Fears that this would happen sent stock markets kind of, as they say, tumbling yesterday. What's going on? Is it something to be worried about? Yellen, Janet Yellen, told the Senate Finance Committee this week's actions demonstrate a resolute commitment to ensure that depositors' savings remain safe. Are you confident about your savings? The average person in this country, as far as I understand, let me just bring it up here because... Um, I don't want to give you the wrong figure. Uh, I'm doing this now as I'm as I'm talking. You talk amongst yourselves there. Average person savings UK. It's low. It's very low, which doesn't surprise me. <clears throat> According to money.co.uk, UK savings statistics 2023, the average person in the UK has £17,365 in their savings, the average. However, 34% of adults, <coughs> excuse me, had either no savings or less than £1,000 in a savings account. 61% of UK adults save money either every or most months. So that's this year's money.co.uk. And if you do a Google search... How much cash does the average person have in savings in the UK? It says the typical UK household saves £180 per month, but doesn't give me a wider figure. So they're saying about 17365 That's the average person. But, but yet they say more than a third of adults have no savings or less than a 1000 So there are some very rich people in this country, right? Which is, um, I suppose, skewing those statistics. Um, I don't know very many people who've got £17,365 in their savings account. In fact, I'm going to say it now. I don't know anybody who would have that kind of money in their savings account. Most of the people I know, my peer group, are people with a couple of grand in the bank. Meaning that if it all goes belly up, if the job is... And these are people who rent their, their, their houses and, and, and apartments, right? So if things go belly up and they lose their job, and they can't get into a job that pays them enough money in the short term, they're going to be on skid row within about two months. That is more realistic, I would say. And people will be worried about this. So what's going on? And I don't want to add to your worries. Economist Paul Johnson spoke to Talk TV about this. Is it to be worried about, Paul? Paul, just a quick word on the banking crisis. It's big in the States. It's looking a little bit scarier here, though nothing... Too serious has happened yet, and, and the banks are still functioning. They just lost a bit of money off their share prices. But what is the potential effect of a something like a Credit Suisse failing on the public finances, on everything we've just been talking about? 
Are we resilient enough to survive another 2009 or is everything thrown up in the air again? Well, good God, I hope we don't come anywhere near to having another financial crisis of the 2008-2009 variety. The banking system ought to be significantly more robust than it was then. They've got a lot more capital than they had uh, at that time. And uh, my take on it, at least, is that we don't have quite the level of problems right across the banking sector that we had then. There isn't the same problem with mortgage, mortgages and um, the uh, set of incredibly complicated uh, packaged instruments, which um, resulted in a problem in the US mortgage market, bringing mm. down the whole banking system. So uh, I, I don't know, uh, but I'd be surprised if we get anything that bad. If we did get something that bad on top of COVID and Ukraine and so on, I think it could be a lot, lot worse even than we had back in 2008. But as I say, I don't think we're going to end up in that that really rather nasty position. Now, Johnson made those comments before Credit Suisse announced that it had received the 40 plus billion, uh, 45 billion lifeline from Switzerland Central Bank. I must mention that. What about Rachel Reeves, the Labour MP who is the party's uh, shadow chancellor of the Exchequer? She was speaking this morning to LBC's Nick Ferrari. We should all be very concerned about what's happened over the last week. Last week we saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the US. Uh, this week we see uh, Credit Suisse uh, shares uh, plummet and a rescue deal from the Swiss Central Bank. We've said that the government need to look urgently at the impact of rapidly rising interest rates on financial stability and also, crucially, look at what this is doing in terms of the borrowing costs, particularly of small businesses, because economic and financial stability are absolutely essential. And we want the government to work with Treasury departments and central banks around the world uh, to ensure but, that that fiscal yeah. and financial stability uh, remains in but, our economy. But, but what do we need from seize from the Bank of England on this? Well, obviously, liquidity is incredibly important in the short run. But looking at what is happening at the moment with these rapidly rising interest rates, we saw in the UK what that did to pensions last October after the Conservatives' disastrous mini budget. We're now seeing the impact of higher interest rates on banks like um at Silicon Valley Bank in the US. There are particular problems at Credit Suisse, but we know from what's happened in previous financial crises that what starts in one bank can quickly spread, which is why we need that coordination between Treasury and central banks around the world to ensure that that liquidity is there in financial markets uh, and to ensure particularly that small businesses and startup businesses that have been particularly affected by this crisis so far are able to uh, access uh, funds at affordable rates. Able to access their funds. Now, if you live in the UK and you have savings, cash that you save or put into a UK bank or a building society, that's a UK bank or building society that is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority, which basically means most commercial banks. If you bank with Halifax or NatWest or I don't know, Barclays, any bank you can think of, you're pretty much covered. The Financial Services Compensation Scheme, or the FSCS, that's the deposit protection limit. It's £85,000 per person. That's what I'm being told. I thought it was around that. 
Now, if you're lucky enough to have that kind of money in your bank account, congratulations, by the way. But um, up to and including 85 grand is protected if your bank goes bust. That's how it goes. That's what the government says. Now, again, I received an avalanche of emails today from people asking me about that, you know, guarantee, that protection of your savings. So if you've got five grand, if you've got 17 grand, like they said the average person has, which is nonsense, um, in theory, if your bank went belly up, you would be reimbursed by the government. Right? That's all I can say on that. We'll leave banking alone for a minute. Melissa Shumay will be talking more about that shortly. It's all kicking off in Paris. Uh, you might be following this. Um, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has managed to force through pension reforms in the country without calling a vote in Parliament. So there are riots. Well, riots is probably putting it a bit strongly at the moment, but the French have taken to the streets of Paris, or Parisians have in any case to to um, protest this. His reform, Macron's reform, will basically raise the retirement age in France from 62 to 64. There have been protests for weeks about this. This afternoon, thousands of uh, demonstrators have gathered in the Place de la Concorde in Paris in response to this. Marine Le Pen is there. The BBC describes her as the far-right politician, Marine Le Pen. Um, she said opposition deputies would file a motion of no confidence in the French government. French people pissed off. You won't be retiring at 62. You'll be retiring at 64. How did he do it without getting a vote in Parliament, Macron? Well, he used a special constitutional power, which is known as Article 49-3, um, to do this, to force through this uh, this bill, this legislation. Frantic meetings, um leading up to this, and Macron believed he would lose if it went to a vote in Parliament. That's some democracy, that, isn't it? Uh, hey, lads. Yes, Monsieur President. Uh, what can we do for you? Do you think we'll win that vote in Parliament, raising the retirement age from 62 to 64? No. Right, let's force it through then, using Article 49-3. Tyrants, every effing one of them. Every one of them. It was announced by the Prime Minister of France, Elizabeth Bourne. She invoked it, 49 paragraph 3. And, uh, yeah, the French are not happy. Maybe more on that later on. Maybe more on that as time goes on. It's coming up for quarter to the top of the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. Your Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers here in Salford. Your comments are next. Lots of comments coming in. Thank you for them. RichieAllen.co.uk That is Reef and uh, Place Your Hands on Place Your Hands from Reef on the Richie Allen Show. Thursday's programme. St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. I think I might wait up till midnight tonight and start drinking. At a second past midnight I might just start drinking. See how far I get before I collapse. I'm thinking these days I'm so shite these days I'd probably get till about probably 20 past one probably. An hour and 20 minutes I'd be asleep. What do you reckon? When I try that, I'll stay up till a minute past uh, midnight. That's officially the uh, 17th of March and I might start then. Of course, I won't do anything like that. When I was a younger man, I might have done that kind of thing, you know. Hi to Maria. Thank you for the kind words about the show, Maria. 
She said, Richie, the financial expert Johnson, the economist, says he doesn't think the crisis will be as bad as 2008, as banks have got more capital and are better prepared. Maybe, says Maria, but households have huge debt, more than ever before, I fear, because of low interest rates in the last few years. All of my normie friends have taken on huge debt extending, have, sorry, all of my normie friends have taken on huge debt by extending their mortgages took new ones out for buy-to-let, etc. Now interest rates have risen, things are looking less rosy. Their tenants cannot afford a hike in rent. My friends are paying more for their own mortgages than the rent brings in. One of my mate's husbands can't sleep for money worries. They seemingly have it all. But behind closed doors, they've also got tons of debt. I see the cliff ahead, says Maria, and it is quite a drop. Frightening, she says. Thank you, Maria. Stephen says, Richie, regarding Microsoft, are you familiar with the work of Oxford University graduate Dr. Joseph Farrell? Farrell opines that the Nazis infiltrated many large Western corporations after the Second World War via Operation Paperclip, and they operate as some sort of extraterritorial state. Microsoft does, or the Nazis do. I think he may be onto something. It explains a lot of the evil that has come our way recently. Tony Gosling is very good on this type of thing, thisweek.org.uk. And Nelly came on to say, Hi Nelly, the French are lucky in comparison to us in the UK. My age group retirement rose from 60 to 66 overnight, says Nelly. Chris, uh, thanks for your message, Chris. He says, if I'm, everything I will say is hate speech, of course, but if you take the colours of that NHS slash LGBT plus rainbow flag and mix them, you don't get anything vibrant you get sludge, he says. Thank you, Chris. Hi to Kiki, who uh, left a message for Melissa there. What does she think about physical gold-backed SIP pensions? I'll uh, make a note of that, Kiki. Thank you. Hi to Craig. How are you doing, Craig? He says, Richie, consider this possibility. Anjam Chowdhury spoke of Iran being a corrupt Islamic state. Chechen Islamic fighters have declared a jihad against Russia. There is the outrage of Uyghur treatment, the Uyghur Muslims, the way they are treated in China. There are Ukrainian grievances against Russia, and Albanians are likely to have age-old grievances against Russia too. The Trans Journal, the great Gerald Salente, is covering the topic of war, of a war building between the West and Russia, China and Iran, and we are importing significant numbers of fighting age men. Of course, says Craig, this is just an observation. It's a well-phrased, it's a well-typed-out observation, Craig. Who knows? Scottish Al says controlled immigration can be beneficial if it's done wisely, but what we have is far from controlled. There are way too many people being allowed to come in to this country who will never be an asset and forever be a drain on public services. Thank you for your comments. Okie doke. There's so many of them. It's good. Thank you. You're engaged. Isabel says, if the argument for immigration was truly supported by a real need for workers, why doesn't the UK adopt the same policies as Australia, Canada and others, where only people with the required skills are allowed in? The reason, says Isabel, they don't do this is because the argument of a shortage in workforce is not the real reason why all of those disillusioned people are pro-immigration. Lies, 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 says Isabel. And that was endorsed by Caroline Feely. How are you doing, uh, Caroline? And as for Naomi Smith 
and uh, great migrants comments says Stephen says the lady on immigration is a marvellous thing really and then he says I think she needs taking to the vets I can't read the rest of that Stephen <laughs> it's a bit unkind Chris and Emma say Richie what about the 60,000 care workers sacked in November 2021 um, will our migrant friends be filling those vacancies that's a very good question too Okie doke. Right. And Jenny, don't take this the wrong way, Jenny, because you're a long time listener and you contribute very regularly, which I'm very grateful for. So don't take this the wrong way, Jenny. She says, Richie, why don't you set up channels on all available platforms such as BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey, etc. as you wouldn't be shut down on all of them and your listeners would have somewhere else to access your show. Jenny, come here. Do you know what the Richie Allen Show is? It's me. It's me, me and myself. I don't have the time to be uploading videos to BitChute, to Rumble and to Odyssey. It's incredibly labour intensive. It's not labour intensive. It doesn't take any physical effort, but it takes quite a time to do that. I'm a one-man band. I know it's incredible to people. And I know that people who have listened to this show for many years, they forget... They look at the videos online of the studio. They see the magnificence of it, the splendour. They listen to the programme, the, the, the broadcast quality of it, right? They think, oh, it's magnificent. Produce, no, there are no producers, there are no editors. It's just me. Me. So no, I don't have the time to be uploading the show after producing it for hours and hours and hours after broadcasting it, after editing it and getting it onto Podomatic and Spotify and all the rest of it, I don't have the time to then sit down after working for 14 hours to start uploading it to BitChute, Rumble and Odyssey. I'm not being sarcastic, I'm just pointing out it's just ludicrous. I work alone. Um, When some engineering needs doing, the great Paul Ripley comes out and does that. But everything else is me. It's me, 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 me. Uh, Yeah, if I had producers and editors, yes, we could put the programme all over the place. Somebody said to me the other day, oh, your pals in Derby at Iconic, look, look at what... Yeah, there's about 15 of them working on that. Maybe less than 15, but more than a half a dozen. They've got camera people, they've got editors, they've got directors, they've got producers down there. More power to them. I'm very glad, I'm very grateful that they have, but I don't. It's just me, 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 me. And therefore, don't be expecting to see the programme uploaded to all of these um, video channels anytime soon. It's not going to happen. Turning an audio file into a video file is uh, a job that takes some time. And I won't be doing it anytime soon. Right, so it's coming up for uh, three uh, minutes, uh, three and a half minutes to the top of the air. Melissa Chumay will be on the programme shortly. Very interesting woman, academic and investor. Lots to talk about with her. And Sue has tweeted a link, or tweeted a photograph, not tweeted. She's uploaded a photograph on the website of Radio Caroline, the boat. She says, remember this, Richie, maybe it's time to get yourself a boat, maybe. And Rona came on to say, Richie, 85,000 will be covered in the event of your bank's collapse. However, if you are lucky enough to have 85 grand, say, in the Halifax and then 85 grand in the Bank of Scotland, then they are one and the same, and you will only be covered for 85 grand and not 170 grand. 
You're absolutely right, Rona, and that's a distinction I should have made a few minutes ago as well. It's just unimaginable to me having 85 grand in bank A and 85 grand in bank B. I'd be rich, I'd be rich beyond me wildest dreams. <laughs> unimaginable, but you're right. It's covered. It's a one-off payment. Yeah. Wow. Kevin says, Richie, the Eurozone has 50 trillion euro of unfunded pension liabilities and the UK has 10 trillion. Uh, and then he puts in brackets, UK housing stock only worth 8 trillion. To say we are screwed is an understatement, says Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Rob says, Richie, I know you're not a crypto guy and neither am I, but I've been watching Jeff Berwick for years and he's been making a fortune from banks and stocks collapsing. Would make a good guess to talk about the financial situation. Um, Jeff used to come on, but, but then he began to decline offers to come on. And I think it's because we, we had some very good, robust debates. If you check out my interviews with Jeff, they were respectful. But I don't think Jeff is very used to people disagreeing with him. I'm not saying he's a snowflake at all, but I think he'd gotten very used to going on programmes where the person is in complete agreement with Jeff. I am not in complete agreement with Jeff. I believe that, you know, I believe the workers... Jeff believes, basically, in deregulation of the markets and allow corporations to regulate themselves. And by, by doing that, um, you know, the cream will rise to the top and everybody will be happy. That's monumental bollocks. Um, the workers should own the means of production and transport and utilities should all be run by the state on behalf of the people, non-profit. And nobody should ever be forced out of a house because they can't afford the rent, genuinely. Nobody should be prevented from having drinking water because they can't afford it. And everybody should have a hot home. That's what I think. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool old lefty. Jeff disagrees with that. And he also didn't appreciate that I don't like crypto. And I said, and I, and I still believe to this day, that crypto was the Trojan horse. One of the Trojan horses, because I think there are several to entice people into, to, to kind of get people accustomed to the idea of cashless. That's my opinion. And as for Jeff making a fortune, who's, who's, who's that, who says that? Is that? Does Jeff say that? Or is there some evidence that he's made a fortune from banks? And I, I, I hope he has good luck to the guy. But um, he's declined in recent years invitations to come back on this programme. And I think it's because... I really enjoyed my exchanges with him and he stood up to my questions. But I think he was a bit irritated by it, to be honest. And that's fair enough as well. Okie doke. Right, but listen, the Dollar Vigilante, that's his name. And if you want to find out more about Jeff, I've just given him a little bit of advertising. So check him out. But I don't like crypto, no. And um, God, when, when I first mentioned that, going back several, several, several years, I received an avalanche of criticism from listeners who were bewildered. They were saying things like, ah, oh, Richie, ah, oh, you see, he's a big Trojan horse himself. Richie, he's a, he's a shill, because you're always a shill, you see, when you um, disagree, when you tell people that you don't agree with them. <laughs> you're a shill. I've no time for crypto. And this idea that crypto, you know, is untouchable. No, that blockchain, for me, it's all... Yeah, anyway, look, I tell you, I'll shut up about it. I'll ask Melissa, you can 
Send me your thoughts on it and I will read your comments out, of course, unedited on crypto. It's exactly one minute past the hour. Melissa Shumay will be with me in a moment. I look forward to that. Thursday's programme, if you're just joining the programme, I did post the video to Twitter and to Facebook this morning speaking about what happened yesterday. Now, there have been lots of comments on that, but I don't want to get too deep into it. Just to say, the final thing on that is, yes, I do believe it's it's something we need to keep in mind. This is not the exclusive problem of content creators. This is something that's coming for everybody. It's got nothing to do, really, with the independent media. Yeah, I suppose independent content creators, we will be the first people to see this happen to us. But it's not about us. It's about everybody in society. It's about training the minds of people to understand that there are a simple set of rules. There are, there are truths and there are things you shouldn't say, let alone think. And if you do, there will be consequences for saying and doing and thinking those things. That's what it is, the social credit thing. You know, being denied access to a service, whether it's a pleasurable service like a holiday, you know, or a night out at the opera or a day at the races, whatever. No, we can't sell to you. But why? I've had a, an account with Ticketmaster for years. Yeah, but your credit rating, your personal credit rating is down. They won't even know why. Like Ticketmaster, the provider, the person on the other end of that computer won't even know why you have been a buccal donor. That's Irish language for bad boy or Colleen donor, bad girl. They won't even know. It'll just come up that you can't have a ticket. Sounds crazy. But then I shouldn't say that because you know Dear listener, it doesn't sound crazy at all in light of what's happening. Remember, I'll finish with this. Yesterday, in the middle of this programme, because it was working fine and dandy, thank you very much, before I um, spoke with you, it was working fine and dandy, went on air, went to open it all up so I could take your telephone calls and your Skype calls, and it told me that the accounts were temporarily blocked, and I learned... Not long after that, it's just because there was a complaint or complaints about the radio show. It's here now. Be Gara. Faith and be Gara. Be Jesus and me shamrocks. To fault your oath. Good on glore. It's Mishery Stardo Halleen. Shine, blues traveller. And this is Run Around. Melissa Shume is next. Yeah, it should be a crime to uh, cut a very good track short, but uh, call me a criminal then. Blues Traveller, run around on The Richie Allen Show. Let's, uh, without any further ado, let's welcome Melissa back to the programme. She's an academic and investor. Follow her on facebook.com forward slash melissa.shumay. It's C-I-U-M-M-E-I. She's pretty great, I tell you. Melissa, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, things are spicy at the minute. 
things are a bit mad, aren't they? I um, yeah. I, I delayed a second bringing you in there. My apologies. I pressed the wrong bloody button. But you're on. You're live and you're here. Listen, I don't want to get into this because um, I don't have a narcissistic bone in my body. It's not about me. I don't care. But isn't it mad that during this radio show last night, Microsoft suspended the Skype accounts? It's not about me. It's about the future. It's going to happen to everybody. Somebody made a complaint. Imagine it, Melissa. You... You buy a service from a company. Melissa Shumay goes into her local bakery because she fancies a chocolate eclair. She goes in three times a week. In the meantime, I go to the baker and I say, that Melissa Shumay is a troublemaker and she's a transphobe and she tells conspiracy theories. Next time you go into the bakery, you are declined a chocolate eclair. That happened to us yesterday. I don't want to get into it in any great depth, but um, that's the future, isn't it? That's 100% the future. Um, permits, penalties and surveillance. Yeah. That's the plan under a digital ID um, with linked to central bank digital currency, your social and carbon credits. Complete control. That's that's where we're moving towards at um, breakneck speed. The Microsoft employee I spoke with last night, to his credit, was absolutely bewildered. Bewildered. Um, I can't get over this. I, well, neither can I, that a third party can make a complaint. I have a business relationship with your company. It's nobody else's business. And uh, they restored it, but God knows for how long. But it's just, uh, yeah, it's here now. Melissa, announcing you coming on, everybody is genuinely worried. Genuinely. You can see the comments on my website, richieallen.co.uk. Richie, should we be worried about what's happened at Credit Suisse being bailed out to the tune of £45 billion? Should we be worried with Christine Lagarde of the European Central Bank talking about increasing um, um, rates, interest rates? Uh, what happened in the United States? Is this a big concern? I've got money in a bank. What should I do? And I'm laying all of this now on your shoulders, Melissa. This is the, <laughs> this is, this is the question people are asking. Are, should we be worried about our savings? Um, well, absolutely, you should be worried about your savings because either which way, they're pulling at the levers of interest rates and um, inflation. So what has happened with, um, I mean, four major banks have just failed. So, well, Credit Suisse hasn't failed yet. Um, will the $50 billion be enough to plug the hole? Um, I don't know. While it's too big. To fail, it can also possibly be too big to be allowed. Right. That's the danger. Um, this has happened because of the increased interest rates, because they have invested in bonds. The bond market is down 15%. So they're looking to get a higher return over a longer period of time. But when people were cashing in, um, they had to sell their bonds at a loss. That information um, that they have to, they're forced to sell these bonds and report losses. That creates a lack of confidence. More people are pulling out um, their deposits from the bank and it can spiral down really, really quickly. Um, the news is really difficult to stay on top of. I just um, saw that the Fed have got to step in to the tune of $2 trillion, um, to put into the banking system. To me, that's starting to look an awful lot like the central banks are buying up everything, um, which would be if you get rid of the regional banks, that would kind of fulfill the prophecy of the going direct reset that was dictated by BlackRock in August of 2019. 
before the pandemic, which is what I see happening now in real time. It seems to me that, um, well, Larry Fink has come out um, this morning, um, the head of BlackRock, and said that, you know, there's going to be more issues with regional banks. So the bigger banks buy up all the regional banks and we move to um, consolidation. And that's an easy move into central bank digital currency. You have, you're worried about your money in the bank. But the central bank step in and say, oh, you know what? Don't worry about it. We've got your back. Wow. We will provide you with um, a central bank digital currency wallet. Um, and people will think, well, we don't know what exchange rate that could go in at, but half loaf's better than no bread. People will bite for it. And that is them completely in the trap of programmable money and totalitarian control. Can we roll back to... Can we roll back um, a couple of seconds there? By regional banks, we, we mean commercial banks. I happen to bank with Halifax. That's what we mean by yeah. regional banks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so you think, you're listening to Melissa Shumay, by the way. She knows uh, her onions when it comes to this uh, subject. So Melissa reckons the central banks might be, which, which um, provide liquidity for commercial banks, they might be deciding it's time now to kind of wind up these commercial banks over a period. And that makes it easier then. And then, of course... If people are panicking, Melissa, and saying, oh, my God, I've got, you know, 50 grand or 20 grand, you're, you're, you're going to feel it as a kind of a relief, aren't you, if the central banks say, as you just said yourself, in your words, don't worry about it, we've got you covered, and now we're moving into CBDC. Well, for the short term, yeah, you'll be relieved because, like I say, half yeah. loaf is better than no bread. But when you realize that this is programmable money, so when they do convert it into that, they can dictate where and when you spend it in the economy. They can impose negative and positive interest rates on you. So your 50,000 savings, they can impose, say, 10% month over month. So your 50,000, you're losing 5,000 a month, should they decide, which forces velocity in the economy. They can dictate the whole economy. This is their idea that a few people can dictate the whole economy rather than free market capitalism, which is where you have billions of people dictating the economy. So ultimately what they're doing isn't going to work, but it's going to descend in chaos. For anybody who has savings in the bank right now, it's not your savings, it's deposits. And should they move to bank bail-ins, you will be given shares of an insolvent bank. Um, lawfully, it's not your money. So why would you be keeping your money and not getting any interest for it? You're not getting any return for your money. While interest rates are going up, you're not going to get, you're not getting a return. You're not getting anything in your interest. So you really should be looking at putting your savings. It kind of depends. Is it, you know, your money that you need over the next 12 months, is it short-term savings, is it long-term savings? But for long-term savings, if you want to just preserve your wealth, um, precious metals are um, a good bet. And for short-term savings, you could possibly look at bullion vault, um, where you have vaulted silver, so you don't have to pay the, the VAT on it. But ultimately, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. If you leave your money at the bank, you're at the mercy. And it happens slowly until it happens really quickly. So if you wait until, um, like what they did in Nigeria, you can only um, they're only allowed um, a certain amount out of their bank. There's nothing that you can do about it then. 
they will have to shut everything down if people what they fear is a bank run so if there is a bank run it's not like it used to be where it was northern rock and people had to stand outside the bank yeah now it's digital you and when you merge digital capabilities where you can lift your money straight out with social media where you can create a panic and everybody pulls their money out it can shut down really really quickly so you are even though they say that you're insured only one to two percent of that is actually insured it's the same with car insurance yes you're insured but if everybody crashed on the one day they don't have the money to cover that this is the eighty-five thousand pounds guarantee now you're talking about yes right yes um mm-hmm. You're listening to Melissa Shumay. This is fascinating. A run on the bank easier than it was previously because we all do our banking online now. Would that not suit the central banks? Wouldn't they love that? Um, not until they're ready. If, they, if the bank collapses and they transfer you, that's within their control. But a run on the banks is when people will actually realise that everything is fake. Because they won't be able to get the money out. They won't be. I I mean, about maybe two years ago, I was blocked from transferring money to buy um, gold. And I called up the company and said, the money's in the bank. Can you explain um, what's going on? And they said, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but we're having this um, quite a lot. So they can just shut you down and block you straight away they can just shut down even online transactions so should that happen then people start to realize this whole system is fake and what do you think is going to happen when people realize that um there's no backing to any of this what the currency is backed by faith in a banking ledger system so if faith is lost you have hyperinflation as an inevitability that's when it gets out of their control Hyperinflation is more psychological. So what do you think would happen when people realize that there's no money, it's mostly debt, and there's no back into any of this? Well, do you remember reading, you you will have read this, Henry Ford once said many, many years ago, a century ago, or more than a century, in a century ago, he said if people understood the banking system, there'd be a revolution. Yes. Yeah, if you if you actually uh, you could, if you explained it to a five year old, um, they would they would question it um, because there there is no money. Only two percent is money; the rest is debt. And then in reality, there's no debt because we're living in an inflationary monetary system where the money supply is expanded to fund government spending. So the debt is paid off with more debt. It's a Ponzi scheme of a constantly expanding money supply. So what is the debt? The debt is a promise by the government backed by the future taxes of its citizens. That's right. So the, the only way that a government can actually gain an income is from money creation, which is inflation. The consequence is higher prices. It's taking a tiny little bit of every pound that's in existence and putting it into their pocket and they can spend it or from taxes. So with central bank digital currency, they can tax you at will um, they would like everybody to have an equity wallet to blockchain every purchase so that they can tax you at every hurdle everything that you own can then be taxed should they want to just issue a wealth tax or an inheritance tax 
you're completely at their mercy. And when this monetary system does implode, because that's what's actually happening right now, um, this bailouts, the bailouts are not going to work um, because they don't address the problem. So it, it's, it's, it's not possible for them to work. And um, the problem is the um, abuse of the monetary system over decades. Loads of interest in this, unsurprisingly. You're listening to Melissa Schumay. Let me read a couple of comments quickly to get out of your way because time flies. Isabel says, Richie, we saw policies being changed during lockdown under the pretense of emergency response to a crisis. That might have set a precedent. I feel the £85,000 protection guarantee limit policy could equally be modified at any time the moment emergency and crisis is established. Um, Isabel left that comment before you said that um, if everybody uh, all at once tried to claim the 85,000, it wouldn't be there because it's a system very like, um, like based on how car, how motor insurers work. So that's, um, that's, that's scary, that. Um, crypto, number of people mentioned crypto and asked about investing in it. I put my hands up straight away. I know nothing about any of this stuff, but I've always been suspicious going back 2014, 2015, talking about crypto, um, Melissa, because I always felt it was a bit of a Trojan horse, you know, to bring in cashless. Am I wrong? What do you make of crypto, blockchain? I would be, um, for me, my suspicion was the timing of it um, with Bitcoin after the collapse, Bitcoin came out 2009 after the collapse. Yeah. Um, it's, they have got, they want to blockchain everything. So they have got these really intelligent people on board to solve and evolve blockchain issues. The problem with crypto, if I was the Satoshi Nakamoto of um, Bitcoin and I wanted it, right now it's only functioning as a speculative asset. So it's the concept that digital or is a store of wealth. But if you wanted it to create a, as a currency, you would put um, expiry dates on it. That would force it to actually function as a currency. And if it functioned as a currency, then it gets into um, the public sentiment and then it actually is something to be worried about. Right now, they're closing the on-ramps. I'm sure a lot of people have got from their bank accounts that they're no longer. Last year, it was Binance and now it's even the custodians, Coinbase, that you can only transfer certain amounts of money in. They haven't closed the off-ramps of cryptocurrency yet because there's so much perceived wealth in that space that there is the possibility that people would actually start to use it as a currency. But all that they have to do, they've reduced the custodians with the exchanges. So um, it's just attack the exchanges um, and that will damage it. But also if they, with the off-ramps, if, if I can't buy, well, I can, but people don't buy, I can't buy your car with Bitcoin. I don't buy your car with Bitcoin. It's not something that's becoming widespread. So I would be selling my Bitcoin, putting it back into my bank, and then buying with whatever the currency is. If at that off ramp, they can choose to just shut that off ramp, yeah. or they can tax you at 95% at that off ramp. So you're at their mercy if it doesn't start to function as a currency. They're going to attack anything that is a threat to their power. And their power is that they have a monopoly on money. So for me, crypto is, it's, it's a gamble. It's a chance. And, you know, it, but only put into it what you can afford to lose. 
But crypto at the minute, I think Bitcoin, well, there's crypto and Bitcoin, but they're up a little bit at the minute. Um, if you watch, oil is down at the minute, which would actually be good to tackle inflation. They're trying to raise interest rates to create demand destruction to push down inflation because the danger of inflation continuing is that it gets in it gets baked into the fiber of the public that inflation is always going to be and that can tip into hyperinflation because you realize well if i buy it now it's going to cost less than if i buy it in six months from now that creates shortages and that can tip into hyperinflation but with raising the interest rates particularly if you look at um Silicon Valley Bank, that was um, targeting the tech markets. These technology companies are dependent on cheap debt because they don't have um, year-over-year growth at the start. It's kind of a five-year plan. So this whole part of the economy is failing right now because of the raising interest rates. They can't raise them that much or they'll pull down the entire economy because we are hooked on this cheap debt but they have to tackle inflation. So with oil prices going down, that will be good for inflation because everything, energy is the economy. And when you reduce the price of the energy, it's not, it's reducing the inflation because those costs don't have to be passed on. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to balance between inflation and interest rates in order to keep the economy going long enough before they bring in their new currency. That's the idea. Which they want to um, have more or less up and running by 2025. What do you make of this comment from Miss Gold? By the way, Miss Gold, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm I'm just going to say I I haven't heard this. I don't know if this is true. But uh, Peter Seal withdrew all of his money from Silicon Valley Bank the day before the crash. Uh, he started the bank run, says Miss Gold. He's a Bilderberg man, that's right, steering committee of the Bilderberg Group, and a former uh, young leader for the World Economic Forum. I mean, if that's true, that's again, that's that's sinister stuff that if uh, Peter Thiel had anything to do with the SVB I, problem. Yeah, I have, I have heard that and he passed that information um, further down the line to pull out. I have heard that too. And you know, these things are easy to, to find out. I mean, I remember reading a great article many years ago by Matt Taibbi for the Rolling Stone magazine. And he wrote this article, Melissa, after September the 11th, about he discovered that a number of massive bets were placed on shares in United Airlines um, and the other airline, um, American Airlines, um, falling. Now, that was an absolute guarantee. That was, I mean, that guaranteed to even, um, you know, the slowest mind slowest-minded person, that somebody knew that September 11th was going to happen and they made bets on it. Now, that's an interesting Mm -hmm. little aside there, Mm -hmm. right? And um, when he tried to really dig into this, he was fobbed off by the FBI, Matt Tybee, and he said, oh, well, we tried looking into it and we didn't get far. And the Financial Conduct Authority in America, the FCC, I think it is, and uh, he said, well, we looked into this and uh, we we couldn't find anything out. So we we assume it was Arabs. (laughs) We assume it was people in the Middle East that hate America. That's nonsense. It's very easy to find out this stuff, like if Peter Thiel did this and if this stuff is being manipulated, because there would be a pretty obvious paper trail, wouldn't there, that somebody was making bets, somebody had advanced knowledge, right? 
Um, well, yeah, the, the five-year credit default swaps, the cost yeah. of which is, is, is insurance, um, they hit a record high. So was the big money going into that? Um, that could have um, created something similar. It's, it is, there is big money, can, well, George Soros does this all the time, um, big money can manipulate the entire market. So it is quite possible that it is um, a systemic takedown because if they want you to move to a central bank digital currency, the idea that your money, your savings isn't safe in your um, commercial bank would make you more pliable to the idea of central bank digital currency. And since most people aren't aware of the capabilities of um, a central bank digital currency, they won't realise that they're walking into um, a prison. And closing the door behind themselves. I use my local supermarkets and increasingly, it started off, Melissa, it was just youngsters. Increasingly, it isn't youngsters. It's older people now tapping the phone Mm. to the modem, not tapping the debit card. So mm-hmm. they're not aware of it. They have no idea. It, to them, it's nice and convenient. There's a million new apps now. Somebody said to me recently, I was buying a record online, and somebody said to me, um, can you use PayPal? And I said, no, I've been banned from PayPal. I'm not allowed to use PayPal anymore. And they said, oh, download the cash app, and you can do it very quickly that way. They love this, you see, people. They love it, don't they? This is great to them. Whereas you and wow. I can see how dangerous it is. It's the seduction of convenience yeah. um, that we're until we realize that it's it's not going to con- be convenient in the long term because it's a matter of time before when they start to move into their new social and carbon credit system if you look at the i guess i told you this before the do black um mastercard do black they've they literally say on the website that it will cut you off if you've reached your carbon limit so it's okay tap 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 now until you go to buy um steak and you're shut off or you go to buy um fill your car with petrol for the second time that week and you're shut off and there's nothing that you can do about it you can't pull out you know 20 pounds out of your pocket and pay with that that's what we're moving towards there will be no alternative. That's the capabilities of central bank digital currency. And they're basically telling you what they plan to do with this whole carbon agenda. That's how they're going to implement it where they decide to cut you off. You're listening to Melissa Shoemaker. She's on Twitter too, by the way. Find her on Twitter. The surname um, is uh, Shoemaker. It's C-I-U-M-M-E-I. I'm saying that, but I know that... um, um, a lot of people listening to this program are very much aware of Melissa. She's been uh, um, asking questions and putting together these strands of what's going on and where it's all going for some time now. Uh, she's on Facebook and on Twitter with really interesting advice. Listen, tell, tell us this, Melissa, a number of people asking this about the um, the monopoly they have on money by they, the, 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 the gangsters you mentioned. Is there any simple way that people, even on a local level, can take that monopoly away from them. What can we do? I mean, are we going to go back to the barter system in our towns and villages or what? Barter doesn't work. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work as a currency. You can have um, complementary currencies. There's the florin in the Netherlands and 
there is they're working on one in um the south of Ireland um on foreign money um that that has a complementary currency which is a local currency. Velocity of money is how you have a strong economy. So if you can create a, a regional currency, you will keep your local economy strong. Because what people don't realize is if you go to your local coffee shop, the chances are that money stays pretty much within your local area. But if you go to Starbucks for now, the only person that's going to keep it in your local area is the person working behind the desk. Yeah. Hill, but ultimately they're going to be automated away. So that um, money goes to um, central office and then goes to some tax haven um, far away from your local community. So that there is the possibility of that. There is the possibility of um, cryptocurrencies sparking up and um, people actually using them. Ultimately, this system will fail because it's such control um, it's not going to work. Um, the problem is I would like for us not to get that far deep into it before we back paddle. But um, historically, with intolerable control and oppression um, to this degree um, from the few, the many, they always rebel. And historically, we have won every single time. This time it's going to be increasingly difficult because you're you're pairing central bank digital currency with artificial intelligence, so that's a fairly difficult prison for our future generations to break out of. If we don't realize this, ultimately they will break out of it, but that could take a long, long time. And they're refining this slave system, so, so ideally don't move into it. We have to take the hit. We have to not move into central bank digital currency and demand for our, for our system because the, the central bank digital currency um, and digital ID is as lockstep as the pandemic response. And nobody seems to be really noticing, you know, how, how much in lockstep, lockstep these two are. This is, if you go on cbdctracker.org, you can see that pretty much every country is working on it, um, trialing it, uh, piling it. Now, they did bring it out in Nigeria and they had little uptake despite their sanctions and um, they created a new note and then they wouldn't let they didn't release the notes so it was very short supply people still weren't uptaking it but if you if you want to move towards a one world government you need that global issue and the first was the pandemic that's a global issue it's not regional um climate is also perfect because you can't say where that started yeah and there's no way to equate when it's over. So like I say, you watched every country around the world act in lockstep with the pandemic response. And now you're watching every country act in lockstep with the digital ID and CBDC. You're right. Can I just jump in there and say, Melissa's right. I get my news from a, a variety of sources. 
around the world. So I subscribe to the New York Times. I subscribe to all the broadsheets in this country. The papers in Ireland, of course, and newspapers in Australia, newspapers in uh, the Far East. I read them all. And what Melissa has said is absolutely true. It is crazy. I'm going to be going on the road sometime in 2024, if I'm allowed, um, to, to do a stage show about this, to show, show what's, what's happening. They're, they're doing their news rundowns in Western Australia, in Japan. They're doing them in, in the Middle East. They're doing them here. And they're doing the same stories in pretty much the same order. And they're telling the same stories about climate change and, and um, flooding and all of this and the need to do something about it. You're absolutely right. Lockstep is a perfect way of phrasing that. It is the same over there as it is here. And, and, and you make a very good point. A lot of people wouldn't be aware of that because they watch the BBC or maybe they don't. Maybe they go on to Facebook to watch um, your presentations, Melissa, or they catch you on a podcast. But they're not really understanding that this is happening everywhere else in the world right now. They're being conditioned. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, this is the, the new currency. Um, seems to they seem to have made um, carbon a commodity, um, which I'm surprised more people aren't suspicious about because we are carbon beings. Yeah, but this dates back to um, the Kyoto Protocol, um, which that's 1992 that allowed for the issuance and trading of carbon credits, but this is among countries and corporations. Um, so that's where the idea of creating a new commodity from carbon was, that's, that's the origin of it. But now the intention is to extend this to individuals. Um, and at Davos in 2020, um, Michael Evans, president of Alibaba, um, spoke of how the elitists were developing an individual carbon credit score um, and in his words it was like beginning with where and how people travel and what they're eating so they're telling you where they're going to limit you where and where you travel and what you're eating and um, they tried this in Norfolk Island in Australia this was trialed so the idea is that we um live in the pods, eat the bugs, take the coal showers, and we sell our carbon credits to the elites so they can continue to live virtuous lives. Bill Gates does this all the time. You know, it's, oh, well, I offset my carbon um, allowance by planting a few trees. Um, the, was JP Morgan and Disney are throwing money at forests that aren't even in any danger in order to increase their um, carbon allowances and their carbon credit score. This is the real drive behind the climate agenda. It's profit because those who issue and regulate the carbon credits control the economy. 84% of them, it's been averaged 84% of them don't actually reduce carbon at all. So it's about creating a commodity from carbon and we are carbon beings. So we will be given allowances that we can sell on that completely shrinks us into their equality world where we're all worker bees and it's a feudal system. Let me read a few more comments. There's really interesting comments coming in from listeners. You are listening to Melissa Shumay, uh, academic investor, um, very interesting lady. If you haven't followed her, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, follow her on Facebook and on Twitter. 
and uh, stay in touch with her. She's on the money, no pun intended. Backbeat says, every time I see somebody swiping a watch to pay or a phone or a card, my soul feels pain. And then Backbeat says, a lady from our Stand in the Park group saw a Muppet recently with an implant trying to pay for something recently. Is that right? That's in, I didn't think we had those machines here in the UK yet where you can pay with an implant. My God. He says, uh, the truth is that people are lazy and they have taken, they being the elites, have taken full advantage of the human trait of laziness. Brian says he's put his money into different things, houses and diamonds, and tries to use uh, cash as much as he can. Jerry came on to say, Melissa, very difficult to escape a digital ID slave system if you've been injected with one. Uh, Jenny, Jenny, thanks for this. Centralised anything is a bad idea. It always ends up with the few controlling the many and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Uh, and Faisal came on to say that he wouldn't agree with the sweeping statement that barter doesn't work as this already uh, is being used to a small extent uh, in certain places and is working. That's uh, Faisal. A lot of interesting it, things in there. Yeah, right. barter can work. Sm- it's not scalable. That's the thing. So if I have eggs and um, you are a joiner, um, I can supply you with eggs and you can do the odd jobs around my house. But in scalable terms, it makes it quite difficult. But there is the possibility, you know, you can work between all the frameworks. So you can have barter, you can have um, complementary currencies and dip into their system waiting for it to fail because when people actually realize what's going on the best case scenario is actually for a run on the banks that's why for me the fed seems to be somewhat panicking they just come out like i said and announced two they're going to throw two trillion um to protect it i've seen joe biden come out and says your deposits are safe and i think somebody in germany said the same thing when they're telling you that your bank deposits are safe, your bank deposits are not safe. Because pe- people in the United States need, need, need to ask themselves a question, Melissa, don't they? And that is, who's going to pay for that two trillion? This seems to be lost on people. You know, this idea that, you know, oh, well, they're building the bank here, that's fine. Yeah, but they're, they're, that's not free money. That's money they've invented to throw at the uh, problem. But it's, um, it's, it's interest money that you're going to have to pay eventually one way or another. People don't understand this. The taxpayer, ultimately the taxpayer has to pay. And that's what I'm trying to say when they move into central bank digital currency. This is when they can tax you and there's nothing that you can do about it. There's another thing we haven't spoken about, by the way. We we should talk about this momentarily. Um, I made a big song and dance just before you and I met, actually, just before Ed Conway wrote an article in The Times. Now, he is a moonlighter. He works as Sky News economic editor, you'll know that, Melissa, uh, just for our listeners, and, and he writes for The Times. And when they had their first lockdown and people were talking about, you know, giving people furlough money, and of course some politicians were saying, well, you know, this will have to be paid for eventually. None of them were saying we shouldn't be doing lockdown. They were saying, oh, in the future we'll have to pay back the furlough money. Now, Ed Conway wrote a, an opinion piece for The Times where he this is a bastard now. That's as much as I'm going to swear today on the programme. This guy Conway suggested that one way to pay back all the COVID debt would be to impose a um, lightning quick bail in on everybody in the country. You might remember this. He said this could be done overnight without anybody being informed that we could um, raid people's savings accounts, a nominal fee or a nominal percentage, and say, right, we've gone into Melissa's account there. Let's say... 
I don't, I don't know what you have in my business. Let's say Melissa has a thousand pounds savings. Let's take a hundred off Melissa. And that's got me thinking during this conversation. Is that the sort of thing that you think might be being discussed? Let's have a bail-in and let's do it overnight. Absolutely. He's just telling you um, what they're thinking about. If you look at the capabilities of central bank digital currency, that is one of the capabilities that they can just do sweeping wealth tax. Just tax anybody, all of your assets. So um, everything is going to be on an equity wallet so they can just wipe it out. Now, it won't be for the rich, but um, for everybody else, just um, take 2% off. Um, they, they're so giddy with the capabilities of central bank digital currency, but they're starting to act them out. So we're seeing that um, the Canadian truckers had their bank accounts seized without due process. Yeah. You have um, Airbnb and um, shutting people out because they don't agree with or don't like what they say. You have PayPal. Um deciding that they're going to find people for misinformation. They're already working, pushing out what they're capable of. They can't actually wait for this central bank digital currency system to come in. So absolutely, they can just, they, they can decide that they don't like what you, because people say, well, I have nothing to hide. You know, when you say about the surveillance, well, I have nothing to hide. But there's nobody that agrees 100% with government policy. So what happens when it's a policy that you don't, agree with and then it's you that are sanctioned because you have spoken out or um you don't agree they can just fine you at will which is just another tax they're going to have to because who'd who'd be owed this money to it's the central banks so the like i say it's the government have borrowed the taxes of future generations and the central banks have decided to go direct and give you a what and then they can get all of that tax, and they want it back quickly, so they plan to tax everybody um, as as high as they can possibly get away with. Call me an and optimist. And it will be the middle, middle classes that they, that's who they're going after. The middle earners is who they want to wipe out because they need that for the feudal system. They need worker base and uh, elites. And I remember you said that to me the first time we spoke. I also remember you saying to me the first time we spoke, all of the measures they take, whether it's COVID, whether it's anything, whether it's climate, there are no backward steps. Once they are permitted by the people to make a leap forward to a certain point, well, that's tough, kind of tough shite, Paddy. Um, there's no going back from that. And you were right, you know, pretty much every step of the way. Melissa Shumay is our, is our guest. Call me an optimist, right? But I think when, when they introduce their, their central bank digital currency and when they start telling people right, you don't get to travel here or you don't get to travel there or you've had your meat allowance. I'm going to be called naive, but I don't mind being called naive. I think we will see some civil disobedience then. I really do. I think at that stage, people will say, no, I'm not having that. We'll travel where we want to travel and we might see some resistance. What do you think? I think that the last gate to rebel at is digital ID, not central bank digital currency, because when they can just shut you out, for anybody listening right now, if they decide they're wiping out your bank accounts, they're going to take all your savings. They're going to take the equity from your house from you if you don't comply. There's nobody that will stand up against that until you own nothing. And then when people own nothing, then they become quite dangerous. But digital ID is um, going to be coming in. I would expect it to really be start to be rolled out this year. 
that's where we need to stop. That's where we need to absolutely not accept digital ID. And we know how um, they're going to roll it out. Um, they tell us that the 2018 WEF identity in the digital world um, tells you how they plan to ro roll it out. It's um, for financial services, um, for it, basically the, what their quote is, is let me say, the digital identity determines what product services and information we can access or conversely what is closed off to us. So that's the world that we were putting in for future generations. So say in the Northern Ireland, it's going to be the Encompass program. So it's going to be in healthcare. That is in one of the lists um, for that identity in the digital world. It can be to access government services and to for subsidies to access the internet. That's how they plan to get it in. So that's where before we get to central bank digital currency, it's going to be really difficult. It's the digital ID that we need to um, rebel it. In Iran, I think they brought it in for bread. So you could buy as much bread as you wanted at like £150 a loaf, or you could get the government subsidies where it was a reasonable price, but you had to have a biometric ID. In Australia, um, it's for subsidised healthcare. So that's where legal professionals need to step in and say, that's okay if you want to bring in your digital identity. But what they did um, with the ADAR app is, it was a Supreme Court case where it's, you should not be at a loss for not having it. You should not be at a disadvantage. You shouldn't be excluded. For not having it. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. I, I have a fantasy too, another one, another little bit of optimism. I think the tech people who, you know, operate in the, in the dark web, I don't mean horrible paedophile people, but I mean people who are geniuses at, at this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. They generally tend to be better than, than the Silicon Valley people. They tend to be better than governments. And I hold out some hope that when this really gets, especially as you said, the digital ID is, is, is the most important thing from this point. I like to think that there might be some resistance there from the hackers, from the geniuses. Absolutely. Well, the, the um, DIA app, which was brought in four days after Zelensky became president, coincidentally, um, it was hacked. So they can't say that this um, digital ID is secure because it has been hacked. And I, I keep on saying that good people are passively good. Bad people are actively bad. But yeah. right now, when we are good people are coming up against a threat, that's when good people are actively good and there are going to be people that are very astute within hacking capabilities but not good people not bad people not using it to their advantage using it to um for the greater good of all that will pull this system down because no matter what system they build there's always in order to break that system you just have to take a look at it analyze it and then you pull it apart so there will be um, hackers that come in and pull it down they don't have it for me I just don't see that they're there yet and um, this has been from 2008 they have been in a blind panic because they knew that the the system had died in 2008 so you had that's you have the bitcoin in 2009 and they have been working the first time I heard about central bank digital currency was 2014 yeah that's not a lot of time to refine this system. And they are rolling it out and to kind of iron out the kinks. But that's making us, the danger of the internet is that 
we can get this information in real time. So what's happening in Nigeria, we don't have to wait for it to filter down from somebody who came there who knows what's happening in real time. You can go on and find out what's happening in real time right now. So that's where their danger is. We knew that. We, we found that out. The danger for them through the past three years was the information getting out there because you could go right to the source of the information. So that's why it's so important to get talking to people. Um, the algorithms of social media create echo chambers but it's important that you go out and talk to people and when you're talking to people it's rather than just say you know bombard them with facts ask them questions well how do you feel about programmable money you know and that that kind of draws them and go what do you mean and then explain it to them because the more people that know what the capabilities is the more difficult it is going to be to get them in but it's easy to get central bank digital currency in once you have digital id so that's what they're going to have to work towards first. It's a really good attitude, I think, rather than beat somebody down by, do, do you realise that digital currencies are terrible? No, no, ask them. Do you know about them? Do you know what they can, mm -hmm. can do? And you, you, you start to conversation. I had an interesting conversation with a couple in my local park this morning who are a bit sceptical about shows like this, but we had an interesting conversation. And I won them round in the end, you know, without because I don't get on my high horse at all, just like yourself. I said, look, you, you, you would agree with me that the the, the 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 experts that they put up to say lockdown was was the right thing to do and the vaccines were necessary i said you would have to agree that those experts were no greater in terms of their educational you know qualifications than the ones they were banning you know and why should they be banned why shouldn't we be able to hear from both sides of it and yeah it's a great approach that you know get people thinking and ask them questions rather than then give them statements. We've got about 30 seconds left on this today, Melissa. Thanks for um, coming back on the show. Melissa Shumay has been our guest this hour. You'll find her on Facebook and on Twitter. I'll be tweeting this programme out later on. I will include Melissa's Twitter handle in it. If Just in case you haven't come across Melissa before, give her a follow there and, uh, and stay in touch with her. Are you um, travelling around? Are you doing stuff yourself? I know you're in demand to speak in various places. Have you anything coming up? Um, no, I just did the Think Local um, conference and um, I think there's something happening over in Bath um, around the start of June, so um, I might get over to that. Great. And is but it... um, other than that, um, no, nothing, nothing big coming up. Is it best for people to find you on Facebook and on Twitter? That's It's the best place to, to go, isn't it, really? To yeah, yeah. Keep in touch with you there, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, thanks as, as usual for your for your time. You're very generous with it coming on. I only asked you this morning. Didn't give you any time at all. I really appreciate it, Melissa. I look forward to the next time, and thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Richard. Anytime. Look forward to next time. Melissa Shumay, um, academic and investor, and is on the ball, I think. Uh, to say the least on this issue, these issues. Uh, thanks to her for coming on today. Thanks to you for your comments uh, as well. Um, Craig mentions Mikhail Bukhanin, Russian socialist, late 1800s, said that Marxism would lead to the banks being in control. And they have been for a long time. They have. I, I used to, I don't have any here. I used to tear at my scalp over the years. I used to say, do you remember we had a fantasy phone in one time? It was very good, actually. We had a fantasy phone in. What was that noise? All right, yeah, yeah. Piss off. You're supposed to be muted. Certain sounds are supposed to be muted, but I've, I've got a new-ish laptop. Not a new laptop, but one I hadn't plugged into the uh, desk before. I forgot to mute the bloody sounds on it. Anyway, long story short, we had this fantasy phone in, and um, I was asking people if you could make everybody in the world aware of one issue, 
of one fact, what would it be? And people were saying, oh, I'd make them aware that September the 11th was a false flag operation and, and other such things, you know. And I said, you know, I'd make them aware of how money is created. That money isn't backed by anything. There are no assets backing up money. That when banks issue a loan to you or to me, they create money out of thin air. Then the cheating backsters charge interest on the loan repayments. This is a massive scam. I've fantasised about this for years. If I could make people aware of one irrefutable fact, we know this, money is an illusion. It's a faith, as Melissa very eloquently said, our money system is based on our faith in it. It's no basis in reality. And basically the central banks have all the power. They don't have any real money, but they have the power to issue money. That's a wonderful power, that. That makes them all powerful, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, I wish more people knew this, you know. Is that when a bank gives you a loan to buy a house, they commit the fraud uh, at the minute the paperwork is signed. On the second. Because they haven't given you anything. They've transferred digits to, <laughs> to, to your online bank account. But they haven't taken any risk. None whatsoever. And yet if you fall behind with your mortgage repayments, they'll take your house. They didn't take any risk. They didn't really give you any money. And uh, I just wish more people knew this. But uh, they don't. And when you do mention it to people, they look at you like you've got, I don't know, you've grown a third ear. Why are you looking at me like that? I've just told you the truth. Remember the great economist Steve Keane on this programme years ago? You're right, Richie. The government borrowing money from its own bank at interest is a bit crazy. That's a world-renowned economist on this programme years ago. So it's crazy. It's a fraud. The whole lot of it is a fraud. It's a fraud from the beginning to the end. The money system. Anyway, that's it for me. Listen, have a great St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, if it's your thing. I've gone on about it for the last couple of days. In reality, I won't do very much, really. I'll probably take a stroll down to Media City tomorrow, maybe, because they have a nice point in one of the pubs down there. Or one on um, Eccles Old Road. There's a nice pub on Eccles Old Road. They have a, a decent point in there, Point of Arthur's Finest, and uh, reminisce about St. Patrick's days of yore when I was a young man. When I wasn't in a DJ box or behind a bar, I was out getting trolleyed. And here's something for you now, my Irish friends, um, to, to Irish listeners. I never took part in a St. Patrick's Day parade. Would you believe that? Would you believe that? Can't believe he said that now. I didn't. I know I never marched in the parade. Never. Even though I would, as a very young boy, have um, very briefly played hurling as a very, very young boy, seven or eight years of age, for St. Saviour's Hurling Club. But I wasn't very good, you see. But we did have a St. Patrick's Day. We, they did march, but I didn't show up. That's right. I was in the Cubs very briefly. And that, again, was only for a short time. And they marched in the parade. And I didn't. I stayed well away from it. Did you ever march in a St. Patrick's Day parade? Let me know. Listen, I'm off. I'll be back with you on the Richie Allen Show proper next Monday at 5 o'clock UK time. But, of course, I'll be on air on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. That's GMT with Sunday morning melodies this coming Sunday at 10, all right? I hope you can join me. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Melissa Shumay. Thank you, Melissa. Your voice is going again. See you Sunday. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the rugby, Irish people. Not so much the English people.
Take care of yourselves and one another. Bye.